Kia ora, good morning everybody. I'd like to welcome everybody who's back for the first time since the last lockdown. I know that folks have been away on holiday and various things, and some of you just simply stayed in bed when daylight saving rolled around, so I know how it works. I know how it works. Well, what we're doing today is we're pushing on with chapter 11 of our letter, looking at the letter to the Corinthians that was written by Paul, and uh, we come across some challenging words today. And so um, we're going to take this on in true all-black fashion. In fact, front row all-black fashion. Uh, front row all-black fashion. They don't know how to sidestep, so they go straight through the middle. And that's what we're going to do today. And that's what we'll do to the Australians this afternoon, we hope. Yeah, they're a pretty cold crowd, Dan. Yeah, you, you didn't do much to warm them up. Yeah. But um, no, today we're going to be looking at... Um, Something that has been relatively confusing over the centuries with respect to how the church should live its uh, personal and public witness to the world around it and how the church defines itself. So um, we're asking that question of can we be in the culture but not of the culture? Can we be in the world but not of the world? And of course, the answer is yes, but how does that outwork itself is really the most important thing that we're addressing today. So what I'm going to do is we're going to have a look at firstly the, the opening verse that we're going to look at today and the final verse. Okay, so there's a whole lot in between. But it's really important for us to just get an idea of the way Paul's thinking. Often when you want to understand what somebody's thinking or writing about, you go to the back of the page, right, or the back of the article, and you find the summary and you go, oh, okay, now I know what they're on about. So let's have a look at this. Paul says, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. So Paul's talking about traditions. Traditions that he's passed on to the church and he's expecting them, hoping that they would hold on to these traditions because this for him is a positive thing. At the end of this passage that we're going to be looking at, Paul says, if anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. So now you're intrigued. Now you're saying, well, what's in between? What's the tradition that Paul says we have no other practice about? And he doesn't want anybody to be contentious, which is a nice way of saying, don't mess with me. Okay? It's a nice way of saying, don't mess with me. What I want to do before I actually expose or uncover this mystery is talk to you about some of the coat hanger statements that are held within this letter to the Corinthians. Coat hanger statements being things that you can hang your coat on. Okay, statements that are really, really strong and powerful in this letter that Paul wrote. And I've already mentioned this before, but I just need to keep reinforcing this because you'll, you'll see the strength of what Paul is saying here with respect to our freedom in Christ. Paul says, chapter 6, he said, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So Paul here is describing the conversation that he's having with the Corinthian church. They know they are free in Christ. But what do you do with your freedom? How do you exercise your freedom? At what point does your freedom become licensed to do anything that you want to do and just run amok of the gospel? Later on, Paul said uh, to the Corinthians, similar sort of thing, though I am free and, not belong, and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So Paul says he's free, yes, but that freedom is moderated because the goal with your freedom is to be able to be there to help other people know Jesus. Okay, so that's what your freedom is 
there to do. It's not for yourself, but for the sake of others. And then last week, Monica went through this text, and again, it re-emphasizes this. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. So here it is, it sets a scene for us because these coat hanger statements actually allow us to see what was important to Paul and the conversation that he was having with the Corinthian church. I've got a cousin who's the same age as me, he lives in Chicago, and he's lived there for 30 years. Uh, he was involved with the IT industry very early, he's been retired for 12 years. Go figure. But Bryce um, played rugby for Waikato and these different things. Um, he's sort of got the family build and um, just a few more muscles than me probably in the right places and ran faster and was more strategic and um, worked harder. Anyway, all those other things. But um, Bryce is crazy about rugby. And so what he's done with his spare time is he's taken his love for rugby and he's gone into the inner city suburbs of South Chicago to set up programs there, teaching these young kids how to play rugby. You see, the big thing in the States, of course, many of you appreciate this, is that if you can get a sporting scholarship, it's a ticket out of, out of difficult places. In South Chicago, uh, 700 to 900 people are murdered every year. 700 to 900, it's just mind-blowing. However, um, what happened is Bryce discovered something that he didn't expect to discover, because what was happening was he was taking these young men and he could see the potential in them. And so what he would do to enhance their potential is he'd talk to the parents and he'd take the child and put them with a more affluential family on another part of Chicago where they had better schools, uh, better coaches, better equipment. And the children, the age of 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, took to this like ducks to water because it's a ticket out, it's an opportunity up. What happened though is this. Bryce said they found that they fell over their own generosity. So the child would turn up, the teenage boy would turn up in the house, and the first thing that the new parents would say to them is, this house is yours, you can have anything you want, just do whatever you want, eat whatever you want, etc., etc." And they did. Coming from an environment where food poverty existed, where you never knew when the next meal was going to come from, what these kids did when they had a, a full pantry and an open fridge in front of them, they ate like horses, and they became the size of houses. <laughs> it's true. So what happened is that they were hogging out on the possibility—sorry, oh, hogging out on all the possibilities they had to eat. And within six to twelve months on the rugby field, they were useless. They were useless because they had overindulged. And this is something that they'd never seen coming. So here was a scenario where everything was permissible but not everything was beneficial. You see that? See how that works? So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at how we can hog out on the culture, our culture. We can hog out on culture. And not everything is beneficial when we hog out on culture. Because what we're going to see is that Paul is addressing uh, a situation in the church where the church folks are hogging out on culture. So let me introduce you to the passages that you are now desperately waiting to see what I'm talking about. Paul said, I praise you for remembering me and everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. 
Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For the man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Now the angels thing, let's stop here. I'm not talking about that today. It's going to be in the Bible study, all right? So you've got to look that up. Too much to get through. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is a man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Now, you're excited, aren't you? you couldn't, when you came to church this morning, you're like, oh, man, I just really want to work this one through, okay? Here's a little guy here. He's got, got a bit of hair going on. He's not sure whether he should be chopping that off. See that little, that little sprout? But a lot of you feel this way, don't you? When you read a passage of Scripture like this, you're going, what does that really mean? And some of you have come from traditions that have uh, been very strong about women wearing a hat to church or a covering, a veil of some sort. Uh, maybe some of you have been in that situation where earlier you did wear a, a covering like that, or maybe you can remember your mother or your grandmother. You see, Scripture is very powerful, and Scripture creates tradition. And the important thing for us is to understand what tradition and culture means for us today. Because what Paul was doing was he was speaking to a culture and he was speaking to a tradition 2,000 years ago. And so we're going to understand that a little bit more by the time we're finished here today. One of the most important things that I want to draw from this passage straight away is something that is often lost in this passage because we're so almost obsessed with whether we should have long hair, short hair, wear a veil, wear a hat. Um, this passage is one of the most profoundly liberating passages for women and men. Let's just go back to what Paul says towards the end of that passage once we were getting past the haircuts. Paul said this, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Can you see the beauty of that? There is a mutuality there and a quality, a balancing of the sexes that was a complete contradiction to the way that the Roman and the Greek world operated in the day. So what Paul has done is he's extended the teaching of Jesus, where Jesus was very clear that women had a place and a position in respect to the church. And he called them up and called them out and, and said to Mary and Martha, you know, don't spend your time in the kitchen. You're better off here at my feet listening to me. And so Paul is very, very strong about this. However, it's easy to lose two verses like that in the context of whether I should be wearing a hat or whether I should have long hair. You see, the first thing that we do when we read a passage of Scripture like that 
is we take the first rendering of it and then we sort of walk around and go, okay, you men, who wants to be in the will of God? You know, come here. I want all of your dreadlocks. I want your long hair. I want your man buns. And, um, ah, perfect. All to Jesus I surrender. My hair I freely give. Sorry, buddy. You're the son of the youth pastor. You can get away with anything. So we don't want to lose sight of these powerful, powerful verses that say to women and men, we're mutually submitted to one another under God. There's another verse in here too, which we get a little bit hung up on, lost on. Uh, The verse starts like this. But every woman who prays or prophesies, and then the verse goes on. Let's just stop here. Every woman who prays and prophesies. So the expectation is within this church in Corinth is that, again, women and men were doing the same thing. Women were praying or prophesying. And what we're going to see as we get closer into this book of Corinthians and we start talking about spiritual gifts is the way that Paul views the world is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the precedent setter. The Holy Spirit sets the new culture. And so just as in the book of Acts, when Peter gets up and says, or quotes Joel, the prophet Joel, and says, your sons and daughters shall prophesy in the end times. Your young men will have visions. Your old men will have dreams. I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. See, what's happening there is the Holy Spirit is leading The Holy Spirit is showing a new way. Just in exactly the same way in Acts chapter 10, when Peter went to Cornelius' household, all these Gentiles, all these bacon eaters were there. Okay, and what was he going to do with them? Well, he was told to preach the gospel. And what happens? The Holy Spirit falls on them. And Paul's like, huh? Well, if the Holy Spirit's baptized them, I should baptize them in water. You see, the Holy Spirit's leading. And so we're getting a new community, a spirit-led community. And so what's happening here in Corinth is that the women are praying and prophesying. But let's read the rest of this verse. It says, But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. And what we do is we focus in on the whole thing about whether you've got your head covered or not. And you forget the part that says women are allowed to pray and prophesy. And there are congregations, there are denominations that won't allow women to say anything or do anything in church, but they're really convicted about the fact they need to have their head covered. See how easy it is just to to slide and slice our way through Scripture in such a way that we, we leave the most important stuff, the liberation of women, the fact that we are called together by the Spirit to live this life together, as the people of God. So what we're seeing here is that Paul is wanting to rebalance the roles between men and women. This is something that started from Jesus and the liberty is being increasingly poured out by the Spirit and Paul is adopting that. See, Paul's all about freedom, freedom in Christ. And when you are free, he calls you, God calls you, the Spirit calls you, Paul calls you to maturity. If everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial, you've got to do something? What? You've got to think. You've got to pray. You've got to have community. 
You've got to work it through. And so you don't just go to the polling booth and vote in your own individual way about referenda. You sit with your friends and you say, what do you think God would have us do? What would God say to us about these things that we've been challenged with now? And how do we conduct ourselves in our real world with Jesus at the center of our lives? How do we do this in the freedom that we have been given? Paul, um, just, I just really want to emphasize how, how, how free Paul wanted us to be. So I've taken us to Colossians. And in Colossians, Paul has around about eight verses, which we're going to look at now. And they describe how Paul is asking everybody to to give up on all these different festivals, give up on all these different habits of food, give up on all these different methods and modes that were once used to please God and to please our conscience that we were pleasing God. Do you know what I mean by that? Pleasing our conscience to please God? Because sometimes there's this little thing in the back of our head that says, oh, yeah, man wasn't made for the Sabbath and Sabbath wasn't made for man. Uh, hold on, what should I do on the Sabbath? Uh, oh, I know. Um, I'm not allowed to mow my lawns and I could go to the shop and get bread, but I won't have an ice cream because that would be delightful and I wouldn't want to do something like that and indulge the flesh. And we just have these crazy things going on in the back of our head. Does that sound crazy to you? But this is where people live. We have all these little rules and regulations about things. You know, we listen to Radio Hauraki all week and then we'll turn it on to Radio Rima when we come to church, you know? It's like we're trying to, trying to sort of appease our conscience. Some of you just got caught when I said that, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, I can see it. Holy Spirit just dropped on your head. See, so let's go back to what Paul is saying. Let's, let's pick this up. Paul to the Colossians, he said, Therefore do not let anyone judge you. Who's allowed to judge you? No one. Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. So these are the things on the calendar. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. You ever met people like that? Yep. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, man, you should think about that one for a month or two. Eh? Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So what Paul is saying here is that all of these things look good from the outside, Okay? look good from the outside, but they do very little to stop what's going on inside your head. You know? You can walk down the street, you can close your eyes when you go past the pornography shop. Paul's not worried about that. He's worried about what's going on inside your head as you're going blindly by. That's sensual indulgence. That's what's going on inside your head and your heart. And Paul is saying you can do all of these things. You can whip your body till it's bleeding, you know, anything. It 
only the Spirit will cleanse you and heal you and set you free from the sensual indulgence, and that's where Paul is targeting. And so here is Paul talking about all of these things that he says you don't have to do. You don't have to keep all these special festivals. You don't have to obey these rules of don't touch, don't, don't, touch, don't taste. Okay? Unless it's COVID, then you have to be careful. So here's a question. Paul is all about freedom. So why the concern about haircuts and coverings? Why? Why? <laughs> you know, Paul's just said, don't bother with that festival. You know, don't worry about all these other people who have these highfalutin ideas about what we should be doing and worshipping angels and all this big stuff. But man, you better get your haircut sorted. We have no other practice. Don't be contentious. Haircuts mean a lot. Let me tell you why. Because fashion is an unwritten statement about what you believe and who you are. And it was very particular in this day and age. Okay, very particular. And we'll come to that in a moment. But we know that fashion says a lot, doesn't it? Fashion says a huge amount about who you are, what you believe. You know, you can see someone walking down the street, they're wearing their overalls. You say, that guy's working, you know, in some, in some trade. Okay, another guy's uh, got a suit on. And you say, well, he's probably, you know, in, in some sort of office work. That's pretty obvious. When I first left school in the 80s, I was working at a bank, left school. And uh, we were told that we had to wear the clothes that the professional businessmen wore, that they set the target and the tone. And in the day, it's funny when you think about it, business shorts they were called, business shorts, long socks, okay? Yep, that was it. So all the bank managers, all the lawyers used to get around town with shorts and socks. Okay, not short socks and sandals, that was forbidden, <laughs> verboten, only if you're English. And if you're English. Would you wear that at the beach with a hanky tied in knots on your head? Yeah, that was the way. You could see you tell an Englishman. Okay, fashion says a lot about who you are. Okay, so I was living in the UK in the 80s, and these were my peer group. These were the people my age walking down the street. Not everyone, of course. Okay, listening to um, the Sex Pistols do their thing. Uh, Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious, the lead singers, breaking out in anarchy. And uh, so the, the, uh, the punk rock scene was a really real scene. And they were trying to, with their visual impact on the community, describe who they were on the inside. Okay, so now it's toned down a little bit. Uh, in New Zealand, we've got the Bogan scene. Okay. Now, somebody came up to me afterwards and said, I know these guys, they live in Morrinsville. Uh, so, uh, so, sorry if you're related to any of them, I'm really sorry, but this is just off the internet, you know? And man, these guys go and have a haircut once a year, whether they need it or not, you can tell. ACDC, Metallica t-shirts, probably drinking Woody's and leaning over a Holden, I bet. I bet you that wouldn't be a Toyota, they wouldn't come within 20 metres of one. Yeah? So, all of these things tell us who we are, something about who we are. Of course, we can take it to extremes, can't we? We can go down the west coast of the South Island and, and book in for a permanent holiday at Gloryvale where your, your clothes are provided, okay? No problem there because then there's no difference between rich and poor, is there? doesn't matter who you are. I'm sure they don't have a different color blue for the different people because they share everything equally. Well, that's an extreme. But in Corinth, there was part of the culture that was 
so, so a huge part of the culture was tied to other pagan cults. And so the best thing that the commentators have been able to work through from Scripture is that within the Corinthian church, people were carrying with them images or imagery or fashion statements from another part of the culture and bringing that into church, whatever the equivalent might be. And the equivalent, the equivalent was for a woman to shave her hair and for a man to have long hair. Okay, some of these, um, some of these cults were uh, centered around women figures, and um, we'll look at that a little bit later in a few weeks' time. But the woman goddesses that were worshipped, it wasn't unusual for a man to grow long hair as an act of worship for that. And so these things become popular and trendy, just in the same way as they do today. Popular and trendy. And so therefore, what is popular starts to permeate the culture of the church. And Paul is saying, hey, listen, um, we don't want in this Corinthian church a situation where, the, where there is gender confusion being done. Because what happens is this, is if when the women are prophesying and praying or the men are prophesying and praying, or they might be leading the Lord's Supper or anything that we would understand as being church, what happens is that becomes a distraction. You know, if I got up here today and I was wearing a lime green shirt and pink pants, you'd spend most of the morning wondering and worrying about me, wouldn't you? Eh? you well, you should do. Yeah, okay. Why? Because two things. A, I might have sold my soul to some fashion cult, okay? And it reflects something that's going on in the inner person. Now, I'm not against fashion. You know, don't get me wrong here. Uh, there was a song came out in the 60s by the Kinks. It goes um, something like, he's a dedicated follower of fashion. Oh, yes, he is. Oh, yes, he is. And it goes on about all the different things that he wears. And uh, only if you're my age and older, you remember it. But the dedicated follower of fashion is someone who's taken fashion too far where it dictates the terms of their life. And so we're not talking necessarily in this room here about people who have chosen to buy a new pair of shoes or a new, new shirt. Um, I get my clothes from a Jewish tailor, um, Helen Steins, um, <laughs> and my shoes from a Jewish cobbler called Hannah's. Um, so very sanctified here. Um, Self-righteous about that, of course. But what's going on is that the fashion is starting to overwhelm the community's identity. And so if you've got someone who rolls into the church who's got this shaved head, wearing clothes that look a lot like the pagan woman prostitutes who serve down the road. Why? Because they might be prostitutes, but they're actually cool. They're cool. They're cool. That's what people can think. And so they align themselves with that. So it's a subtle, subversive identity with the culture. And so we, what Paul is trying to do, and all this talk about women having um, authority over their own head, if you read into the scripture, it says over their own head. And then Paul also talks about men and women having this order through creation. What Paul is doing is he's drawing from Genesis because he wants to say to people, look, you're created in this particular way, and that's something that God wants you to have. So we see in Genesis chapter 1, 
God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. Let's just take this for a moment here. One of the things about the confusion of genders that we have in today's society is, um, is the fact that we, men, male and female, are made in the image of God. The two shall become one. And when we confuse gender, we're actually confusing the image of God. That's what's happening. Ultimately, we are image bearers, each one of us, of the image of the creator, the one who created us. And so when we start messing around with gender, we confuse that. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was the morning, the sixth day. See, God created us and he said it was good. Furthermore, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and the two become one flesh. So Paul takes this imagery to talk about or challenge this fashion agenda that some people were having and he reminds them. So let's just go back in that scripture again. He reminds them of the created order and he doesn't want that confused with haircuts. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. See this whole shave thing here? What's going on? She's dishonored because she's looking like a temple prostitute. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. Now, there's a few little words in here that are giveaways to what I'm trying to describe. They're here. But if it is a disgrace. What Paul is saying here is situational. If it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off, okay? If it is a disgrace to have a punk rock haircut and make your head look like a chicken. If it is a disgrace for you to wear um, this sort of clothes or have, have something that is distasteful. So what Paul is arguing here is that in this particular time and place, it is a disgrace for this to happen. And so therefore, what we have to do is we extract this out of Scripture and we say, listen, today's environment, it doesn't matter whether your hair is long or short, male or female. That's actually not an issue. But if it is a disgrace too, and you can come up with your own ideas of what that might be, then you've got to be careful how that permeates and affects the life of the church. Okay, does it make sense? Okay, so those little words there. But if it is a disgrace... Paul is asking the question, is it? In this case, yes. So therefore, we'll ask women to wear a veil if they've got their hair shorn. Okay? And if they haven't, uh, if, they, if they've got long hair, then that's cool. That's fine. They just carry on as per normal. And for a male, it's, you know, keep your hair short because we don't want you looking like girls. Because that reflected part of the culture that was worshipping these foreign gods or goddesses more specifically. So what Paul's concerned about is a fashionable gender exchange. 
a fashionable gender exchange. And that might just sound a little bit familiar to you. Okay, so we can see how 2,000 years down the track, society has the same rhythm of coming back to things that have been here before. Does that sound familiar? It does, eh? And we see that in fashion all the time. I tell you what, the day that I threw away my fat paisley ties, a week later they came back in fashion. You can guarantee that, okay? Anybody done that before? Fat paisley ties? I remember laughing at my dad's shoes that he wore when he got married. They called them winkle pickers. They're really tight in the toe. Yeah, about five years later I bought myself some. You see, that's what happens. But for Paul here, he's saying, look, this church that we're in has to define itself in such a way as we go back to Genesis, we understand the created order, and we don't disenfranchise ourselves from the, being the people of God to reflect something else that is dominant within the culture. Paul says, remember, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. And here's the big bit. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So when it comes to what you wear, when it comes to how you conduct yourself, you don't do it for your own sake. You do it for the sake of those around you. You don't want to be leading communion here with your pink, I don't want to be leading communion here with my pink pants and my bright green shirt, distracting everybody from the main purpose that we are here for. I don't want to become the, the talking point for the church, in respect to, gosh, did you see Craig's bright yellow shoes? Well, that would be dumb, you know, because that would draw attention to me and away from God. And that's pretty much the essence of why Paul is so emphatic about this, so that not only people move away from the, the dominant culture, but um, move back into what it is that God ordered them to be. So we live in a world where we are tempted and challenged to hog out, on culture. Just like that rugby player hogged out on the, the fridge and he became of no value, when we hog out on the culture and allow the culture to determine what we look like, what we say, how we act, then we're surrendering the Lordship of Christ to the dominant culture. We hog out on the culture and there's no distinction between us and the world around us. And therefore, the salt has lost its saltiness and the light has lost its light. For Paul, this is a very, very simple issue, but it was one in this particular situation where he said the church knows nothing else and he doesn't want to be contentious about it, but he says, do it my way. Why? Because he just knew at that point in time, that fashion statement was something that was critical to the life and well-being of that church community. So can we be in the culture, but not of the culture? Absolutely. A lot of it's about motives. I've got friends who, um, and some of you will know these folks, um, who, who wear clothes that are far more radical than I'll ever find myself wearing. Why? Because the intentions are mission. They're going to become one to win one. Yeah, that's what Paul says. So they're identifying with this group of people and maybe the clothes they wear uh, is a significant part of that, how they identify with it. That all comes back to motives. But if we wear something that looks um, distasteful in some fashion for what it symbolizes, and we're doing that just so that we can put ourselves on an edge where we look cool and we're a little bit you know, winding up the parents or winding up the pastor or whatever, 
then that's not cool. That's just a spirit of rebellion. And so Paul is asking us to check our motives. Why? Because everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Don't leave your brains in your gumboots as you come into the church. Bring it with you. Take your faith. Take your brain. Take your culture. Take the word of God. Take the people around you. And you fuse this together and you work out what is appropriate in the day to be a Christian. Things change. Fashions pass. You know, so you go back and you look at t- uh, commercials back in the 40s and 50s. Smoke cigarettes, they're good for your health. You know, that's a fashion thing. So much is going to just disappear, but we've got to hold on to what's, what's good and what's, what's true. And that's what Paul asks us to do. Let's stand for prayer. Lord, we thank you for the liberty that Paul gives us. I know the personal challenge that I have is, can I be trusted with that much grace? Can I be trusted with that much freedom? For Lord, we know that um, we're surrounded with temptations and there are times we, we hog out on the culture and that turns things in our lives from good to negative. And so, Father, we, we pray for a discernment that gives us the ability to be able to know what is right and wrong at any given time What would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? What would Jesus uh, have us do at any given time? Lord, for us, um, it might not be about haircuts, but it might be the quality of our cell phone. It might be the quality of the ride we we have to church. It might be the address that we live at. All these things, Lord, just chip away at us and uh, conform us to the patterns of the world. And so we ask, Lord, that you'd help us to be discerning, to be confident enough in you whereby the fashion of the world doesn't become such a temptation that we chase it down to fulfill our identity. All these things need your spirit's leading. And with these things, we need to fill up on your word, Lord, to ensure that we don't lose sight of who we really are. And Father, we thank you for the Corinthian church. We thank you, in a sense, for all their problems because we get to see in there a mirror of ourselves. We get to see the wisdom of God coming through Paul. We get to see our own weaknesses manifest in somebody else. So Lord, keep us safe, keep us close to you and to each other. We are said in Jesus' name. I just want to say, um, as the music team finishes off here for us with this final song of worship, um, legalism is really, really challenging. It's really hard to get rid of. There are things that you would have been raised with or taught that tell you you should and you must and you have to to please the will of God. And as I've been wanting to see you feel and hear over the last few weeks, um, these things are things that you can lay down and therefore you won't be consumed or burdened by them. You see, your conscience will play tricks on you all the time, telling you that you're not good enough because you didn't do that. And for some here, it could even be, uh, gosh, you know, maybe if I was a real Christian and I wasn't scared of others, I'd wear a hat. You know, seriously, this is where people have been. And um, so whatever legalism that you feel that you've been shooted upon, um, seriously, there's an opportunity now to come and pray, have some prayer, some folks here get alongside you, 
and just, just pray with you gently just to lay that before God. When Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law. He set us free. He gave us grace. A grace to reach the fullness of our humanity and the fullness of our life in Christ, all fused together. And we do it together in the context of the church. So if you want some prayer, come forward and we'll, we'll love to pray with you. Meanwhile, thank you, guys.